Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. As baby boomers have become older adults, a series of recessions and lack of a strong society safety net have pushed more of them into homelessness, a number that's only expected to rise. Without more services and meaningful legislative and administrative action now, the homelessness crisis for older adults will only worsen in the coming years. My guests today are Dr. Yolanda Stevens, a policy analyst that, who focuses on older adults at the National Alliance to End Homelessness. My other guest is Catherine Skiba, a journalist and author. They will both talk about key causes associated with homelessness among older adults and the unique set of challenges faced by those dealing with this crisis. They'll also describe actions and services needed to prevent homelessness and what solutions are needed to help older adults stay securely housed. So welcome, Dr. Stevens and Catherine, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me, too. Okay. Well, Dr. Stevens, let's start with you. Let's kind of get an overview of what the situation here is. Are most people aware that there's a growing number of older adults who are at risk of homelessness in the U.S.? And talk about the problem. What's occurring and why? Thank you for that question. I do believe that people are aware. I think that sometimes we might be a little slow to act not always as proactive as we would like to see, because I was reflecting on the trend in homelessness among older adults. And then I recall that sometime in early 1979, Dr. Butler, who was the charter director for the National Institute on Aging, he actually was speaking to the Gerontological Society and asked them, what will it be like in America when the wartime babies get older. So somewhere around 2020. And I think he was really ringing the alarm to say we needed to be proactive and we needed to take action on this growing older adult population. And so here we are today uh, where the Administration of Community Living, which is housed within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, annually publishes a report called the Profile of Older Americans. And in that report, they show that there are 55.5 million adults age 60 and older as of 2020. And that represents about 17% of the U.S. population. Now, of that almost 56 million older adults, 5 million are living below poverty. You put that in context with the overall U.S. population, which in 2020 had a poverty rate about 11%. So if you think about that and you think that poverty is about 13, income for those below poverty is about 13000 a year for an individual and about 17000 a year for a couple or two, you know, two people. So when you think that and you think that there are about 2.6 million older adults who were considered to be in, be near poor, meaning not at poverty, but very close to it, this helps to say, here's what's happening with our older adult population. About 2.2 million older adult renters had worst case housing needs, which meant that they were severe cost burden, paying more than 50% of their income on housing related costs. So housing cost burden has remained one of the most prevalent problems for older American households over the years. And when we think about that, combined with the fact that um, one organization called Feeding America reported that one in 15 older adults are food insecure. So for some time, I think we've seen this growing trend in older people experiencing homelessness with the inflation and skyrocketing housing costs are really upending the lives of many older adults. And staff at emergency housing uh, homeless shelters are 
see more adults showing up at their doors. Some of these adults are sharing that they lost their jobs during the pandemic. Either they or their partner who was a bread earner got sick or died, or they could no longer make rent, or they couldn't find another place to live after their homes were sold out from under them, uh, or their landlords wanted to capitalize on the housing market and didn't renew their leases. So these stories help to illustrate how unexpected circumstances can result in homelessness, and advocates say that this story is playing out across the country. So while we don't necessarily have a definitive uh, number of older adults experiencing homelessness, there are projections based on an analysis of three major cities that told us that in 2030, we can expect to see a triple in the number of older adults experiencing homelessness. And I don't think that this is surprising, right? Because the U.S. Aging, which is a national association representing area agencies on aging and Title V Native American uh, aging programs, said that when they conducted a survey of their members, homelessness was one of the top issues that they saw. So I think that when we think about those things and we think about how poverty is intricately linked with homelessness, we can see that older Americans living in poverty are at an increased risk uh, of becoming homeless or experiencing some type of housing instability. Thank you. That's an excellent overview. I just wanted to drill down a little bit, um, Dr. Stevens, with the kind of the demographics. Is there a certain age range? I always say older adults can be anywhere from 55 to 100. So if you could talk about like the average age, are they more likely to be single rather than married? Um, Is it more in say one racial or cultural group? Do they have certain health conditions? Talk a little bit more about that. I mean, what is there a certain kind of you know, a certain situation that makes homelessness more prevalent for an older adult um, than others? Help us understand that. Sure. Thank you. I think um, what we know is that for people who are experiencing homelessness, for older adults in particular, there are two pathways into homelessness. Uh, there are a segment of the older adult population that experiences homelessness that age into homelessness. In other words, they, at some younger age, they experience some type of adverse conditions uh, which prompted their homelessness. And then there's a new group, uh, those who are uh, 50 and older who are experiencing homelessness for the first time, as I mentioned earlier in the uh, for, in response to the first question, that there was some type of loss that occurred. I think what we see is that those who have been homeless prior to age 50, uh, they tend to experience health conditions that are similar to those in their 70s who are housed. So this means that living on the street exacerbates current health conditions. And what we see is that Many of people who are experiencing homelessness tend to have heart disease, diabetes, uh, um, breathing-related conditions like asthma, COPD, those types of um, chronic health conditions that go unmanaged, untreated, which tends to worsen and certainly impact their health conditions. And when you look at the homeless population, overall, black and brown people are overrepresented uh, in in the homeless sector. And then we also know that, for example, maybe 39% of people are black and brown, but only represent 12% of the entire population, right? Um, And then I think we also have to take into consideration the fact that people who are fleeing domestic violence situations, older adults, 
are also included in this population. And then that people who identify as members of the LGBT plus community are also um, part of this older adult population who are experiencing homelessness. And I would follow on to what Dr. Stevens just said by uh, referencing a really esteemed uh, researcher, Dr. Margot Cruchel at the University of California in San Francisco. She's looked at uh, older adults who are experiencing homelessness for decades and done longitudinal studies. And she coined the phrase, if you're homeless, 50 is the new 75. Mm -hmm. It just really devastates uh, the body and also one's psyche. That's a wonderful point, and thank you for bringing up Dr. Cashel's study in California, uh, her, her latest report that came out. I also thought it might be helpful to also say that, you know, poverty affects older adults differently than other groups because they are more vulnerable to economic instability when their physical health and cognitive abilities and social networks decline. And, and so this further impacts you know, the risk of homelessness among older adults. Well, Catherine, we want to hear from you. You recently wrote a series of articles um, for AARP about homelessness among older adults. So talk about that project. What, what did you discover in terms of setbacks, perhaps some of the same that uh, Dr. Stevens was describing, but maybe others as well? Tell us, tell us what you found. So late last year, AARP's website, which is aarp.org, published a series of stories I wrote called The Graying of America's Homeless. And the stories examined what experts warned is a growing trend. Hundreds of thousands of men and women who are, are experiencing homelessness after age 50. And for many, it is first time homelessness. So in talking to current and formerly homeless folks, I found people with college degrees, even advanced degrees, but no roof over their head. One man had run businesses. One woman had worked for over 40 years before epilepsy led her to lose her home. Lastly, I'll mention a memorable man who worked, had worked in the White House for President Reagan as a low-level staff writer. Now, on his first night years later in a homeless shelter, he said to himself, my God, what has happened? I used to be the person who gave people sofas to stay on. So today he and the others uh, referenced live in subsidized apartments and all, as Dr. Stevens has alluded to, have significant health challenges. So to read more about folks like this and how you can help, you can find my series if you Google ARP.org and homeless. And thank you for explaining about, you know, the kind of setbacks. It it just helps us understand about, you know, maybe the stereotype that are sometimes associated with uh, homelessness. And that was, was not necessarily the case, as you described. Did you also find that in your interviews with these individuals that there were other factors like the family members were not uh, available to provide support, or maybe family members were geographically distant or non-existent. What did you discover? I would emphasize one point. There is a lack of affordable housing across the country, not just in high rent places, but um, all over the country, there's a lack of, of, of places that people can live and, and still make ends meet and raise a family and so on. So we, as we know, housing boils down to dollars and cents. And uh, Dr. Stevens alluded to setbacks. I have I found that it's often a series of setbacks that can uh, cause you to lose your job and go into the streets, loss of a job, a calamity such as a fire, a divorce, or a series of divorces, medical crisis. As Dr. Stevens referenced, uh, some people flee domestic violence and become homeless. Often people experiencing homelessness have little or nothing to fall back on as a nest egg. Some are older, but not old enough for Social Security. And as we know, a Social Security check does not stretch far enough to make ends meet across the country. Now, on the issue of family, of course, in an ideal world, family would step in. But let's keep in mind that not everybody has rich relations with the spare room, boundless compassion, and endless tolerance. I found many of the older people who experienced homelessness 
sure, maybe they started out couch surfing with relatives or friends. Sometimes they're, they were out there welcome. A couch surfing uh, popular term, right? Uh, it's never, in, in my reporting experience, proven to be a long-term viable solution. You might house it uh, for a while. You might stay at a budget motel. Some, some men in particular chose to leave a situation with a relative, for example, and live in their cars or their trucks before they entered a shelter. Was there any specific mention about the family, whether they had family members, either adult children or some other kind of relative? Did that come up? Sure. Let's talk about the lady um, who had suffered from epilepsy her, her whole life. She raised three sons. She was married for 25 years until she divorced. She raised three sons. They're all brilliant. They're all engineers. For a while, she lived with one of her sons, but she said it was a very difficult process. It's a role reversal now, right? She was used to being the matriarch of the family. Now she's in her son's house. He's got a wife and kids, and there was just a personality clash. They also differed on um, how, how to view and treat her epilepsy. She went to live with a sister in Minnesota. The sister decided to move to Arizona. I mean, things changed. She had a nest egg. She had a home at one point, but she spent that $25,000 on rent here and there and ended up in a homeless shelter. Now she's in a subsidized apartment and very happy. And I should say her relations are restored uh, with her sons. She has a good relations with them. I can think of another man. He was a substance abuser. He had been a top employee a handful of years ago at a very uh, fancy hotel in Washington, D.C. Substance abuse got the best of him. He lived for a while with his sister. She couldn't tolerate his use of uh, illegal substances and alcohol, and he ended up in his car. He said McDonald's was his home base. He felt safe there. Um, he could use the Wi-Fi if somebody if it was his lucky day somebody would buy him a hamburger. He called it his base camp, uh, parking his car at McDonald's. You've both already been giving some really good examples of what are different causes of of homelessness amongst older adults. And so, Dr. Stevens, I wanted to get back to you maybe about a couple of other factors, one of them being health care insurance. We always think, oh, well, older adults have Medicare, uh, so certainly they should be able to be taken care of. But is it possible that a lack of health care insurance or or even an ability to afford health care if they're not 65, is that a factor? Thank you. I think that what happens is when, I think maybe uh, Catherine mentioned this about living on a fixed income. So sometimes there's this belief that as you age, your income, uh, your financial status or situation improves, that you've probably paid off most of your mortgage, those sorts of things, when in actuality that is not typically the case, right? Most older adults are living on fixed incomes. As a matter of fact, um, if it's an older adult who does not have as many work credits, they are not eligible for Social Security, so they they are relying on Uh, Supplemental Security Income, SSI, and the average uh, monthly payment for SSI is $914. So think about the cost of maybe even just a one-bedroom apartment, $1,400 or so, depending on your community. We're already at a loss, right, if you are that individual. And then if you are relying on Social Security, that average is about $1,780 a month. So even in that case of a, an apartment about $1,400, you have about $300 or so dollars left to cover groceries and utilities, uh, auto insurance, whatever. So already at a deficit when you are living on a fixed income. I think that is important to um, stress and highlight the importance of those types of safety net programs and what uh, impact it has as it relates to older adults and poverty. Um, And then I guess the other part um, that Catherine sort of 
hinted about was the availability of family and and your and your network that increases. This is something that we see for older adults who um, are declining in their health, and family looks to see whether nursing facility is is a need, right? And uh, there's all the guilt that goes along with placing a family member in an institutional um, setting. And, and so I would say this, sometimes, and what we see now is older adults whose adult children have moved in with them, right? And in some cases, some of their finances are going to help uh, support their adult children because housing and the cost of housing is really uh, astronomical, right? Astronomical rents and and trying to buy a home is even more uh, uh, difficult in this current environment. So there are a lot of factors that play into uh, housing stability among older adults. We're going to take a short break soon, but I wanted to ask one more question about the pandemic. I mean, it seems like the pandemic has had such an effect on so many factors in our society. How did the pandemic affect an increase in homelessness among older adults? I think the pandemic revealed housing insecurity. And it uh, revealed discriminatory practices, structural discrimination that occurs uh, across our country. So in in those cases, I think you also saw the number of people who were seeking uh, housing assistance, right? The federal government uh, pushed out about $90 billion in housing assistance, so in forms of emergency rental assistance, tenant-based assistance, uh, project-based and public housing um, all received some support to help people maintain their housing, right? And uh, certainly in the homeless services system, uh, communities received money to create non-congregate type shelters, for folks because of the pandemic to, you know, slow the spread of COVID. Um, So we did see some experiences, some increase in in homelessness just because people were already housing insecure. And so loss of jobs, being sick, and then not able to work. And I think one part that we also, I failed to mention earlier was about people who are living with dis, with a disability, whether that's a physical disability or a developmental disability, intellectual, all of those uh, uh, types of conditions also were experiencing homelessness. So um, I think all of that created the perfect storm. You saw the increase in homelessness. You saw folks um, in the homeless services sector who continued to work, right? There wasn't a way to phone in support of people experiencing homelessness. You had to be on site. People were becoming sick, leaving their families, staying at the shelters to support uh, individuals who needed housing. So I think all of this happened at the, at, at, uh during the time of the pandemic. And and certainly the homeless services sector was grateful for the influx of funding that came. But at the same time, there was a rush to find uh, suitable places. You saw communities uh, placing folks in hotels and things like that. So it was a lot of uh, support that the homeless services sector Um, needed in order to maintain some type of housing situation for people experiencing homelessness. And that's still going on today. And it's still going on today. And we're concerned about what happens when all of this funding ends and people are trying to find housing and housing is not there, right? We spoke a little bit about people living with disability And I think Catherine mentioned about affordable housing. I would add to that affordable, accessible housing, 
especially for older adults. We need a they need accessible housing. They need housing that has universal design elements. And finding that is like looking for a needle in a haystack. And we're going to talk more about that in the second half, but uh, want to take a short break right now. In case you tuned in late, we're talking about homelessness amongst older adults. And our guests are Dr. Yolanda Stevens, who is a policy analyst who focuses on older adults at the National Alliance to End Homelessness, and Catherine Skiba, who is a journalist and author and wrote a series of articles for AARP on homelessness amongst older adults. So, and we want you to know that you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. discussion today is homelessness amongst older adults. And our guests are Dr. Yolanda Stevens, who is with the National Alliance to End Homelessness, and Catherine Skiba, a journalist and author who wrote a a series of articles um, for AARP on this important topic. So again, Catherine, I wanted to get back to you in terms of as you interviewed and wrote this and did your own research if, if you found or interviewed people that had actually been evicted from their home, what was the reaction or what was it like if they were actually sent to a local shelter or if that was a suggestion? Um, did you discover that's a good or possible or satisfactory option? Or if not, why not? Well, let me begin by saying I really stand in admiration of the people who work in shelters. They're doing challenging work, helping people with a variety of socioeconomic, medical, and behavioral health needs. They're helping day in and day out, every day of the week, 24-7, and that help can be life-saving, to be sure. But it was a bit surprising to me, to one, the people I interviewed who had spent time in shelters, one or more shelters, did not like shelters. You sacrifice your independence. You have to live by the rules. You lose your privacy. You can face bullying, theft, assault. Um, To her credit, the woman I mentioned who became homeless after suffering a series of concussions and broken bones and coping with epilepsy all her life, she did make her best, the best use of her time in a shelter. She hooked drugs. She took long walks. She went to the local farmer's market. She knew that this was a time-limited situation while she was waiting for what's called permanent subsidized housing, which in her case was a permanent apartment with wraparound services to address her medical needs. But I must tell you, during her first six weeks in a shelter, this can be crowded. Her bed was a thin piece of foam rubber on the floor. Men on one side of the room Women on the other, separated, I believe, by long dining room tables, portable tables, you know, on their side. And she said, nobody's getting good sleep in a shelter. Everybody's irritable. Let's remember, nobody came into a shelter because life was good. Um, the one, Another key point I'll make is that shelters are tend to be time limited. So this is a stopgap measure. Um, people I interviewed, they cycle through one shelter after another or a shelter and transitional housing facility and back with relatives. And now I'll stay with a church friend. So again, they serve a very important role. And I commend the people who, who work in shelters, but it's a challenging environment for a lot of people, very challenging environment. And, and frankly, that's why I think you, you know, some people prefer the streets. Thank you, Catherine, for sharing that. And I wanted to just add in that, yes, sometimes the needs of older adults are certainly more complex than what the emergency shelter staff can meet. And are the features of the shelter's uh, physical facility can accommodate. Um, As you mentioned about older adults 
are disproportionately affected by chronic health conditions. And so sometimes those conditions can limit their ability to perform activities of daily living. So things like bathing, dressing, uh, or even instrumental activities of daily living, like taking medications. So um, in addition to this, they may have some memory loss or cognitive impairments. And the staff at shelters are really not prepared for those types of circumstances and, and not really trained to provide personal care uh, such that a home health aide or a certified nursing assistant would provide. Um, and additionally, we know that older adults uh, have falls, right? Um, and that can also limit their um, abilities. And features in a shelter may not necessarily be conducive to someone with mobility uh, challenges. For example, as Catherine mentioned about cots on the floor, um, sometimes that can be difficult to rise from when you're an older adult with some type of um, physical limitations. And the same thing that applies when we're talking about uh, nutrition, right? So those meals are typically geared towards people who may have uh, all of their teeth or may not um, have some other types of dietary restrictions. So these are all things that shelter staff are not necessarily prepared to address or trained to be able to identify when someone is experiencing sundowning that happens in folks who um, have Alzheimer's. And I guess the other part of this is that we talked about living on the street and how chronic conditions can be exacerbated and how older adults uh, who are experiencing homelessness may not have necessarily uh, regular access to um, medical care. So there's a gap in between that. Um, and you may have heard of things like medical respite, right? So if a person went into a hospital uh, and they are experiencing homelessness, where do they go to recuperate and recover? And in comes uh, medical respite, which is also um, time limited. So I agree with Catherine that there has to be uh, an alternative for older adults. And, and there has been some uh, talk and, and certainly the National Center for Respite Care, Medical Respite Care would probably say they would love to see in those permanent supportive housing uh, um, units that Catherine mentioned, one of the uh, ladies that she introduced uh, interviewed was entering into a permanent supportive housing unit, that there be medical staff on site to be able to help address the unique needs that older adults have. So that's some of the things you'll see. Some shelters uh, around the country have put in place some medical professionals to help support older adults, but this is new, right? This is not something that has typically been uh, included in shelter services. One thing also that uh, strikes me that both of you are kind of talking about is also the fact that, especially if uh, an older adult has some kind of cognitive um, impairment, uh, oftentimes the other people who are living in the shelters don't know how to react to that or can take advantage of an older adult because of that cognitive impairment or don't understand. I think that the the surroundings of other people who are staying at the shelters can can be a factor. Catherine, did you get that impression as you were interviewing and, and doing your, your uh, series of articles? Uh, to be honest, sometimes I think it was the other way around. Uh, older folks that I interviewed who had spent time in shelters, sometimes as a younger person, let's just say, with a mental illness who was sort of wreaking havoc on the floor, on the ward, in the laundry room, didn't know how to use the washing machine. It was always broken. So um, it was just a very combustible environment. And we talked about medical respite beds. My impression, and Dr. Stevens could to say for sure, but those beds would really be at a premium, right? So it's not as though um, the situation is not one that's rife with wait lists and competition for advanced care in a shelter. Um, 
And we talked about, uh, again, I've said it earlier, Dr. Margaret Cushell at the University of California, San Francisco, who coined the phrase 50 is the new 75 if you don't have a permanent place to live. Um, it does take a tremendous toll on your body, whether you're bedding down in an abandoned building or on a park bench or under a tent or in an en- under an encampment, you are exposed to the elements. You're eating poorly, sleeping fitfully, skipping medication, shun doctors. And we all know health is wealth regardless of your age. But those of us who are older need to pay perhaps a bit more attention to our health. So again, your body's pummeled. You don't have a place to live. You don't have a kitchen. You don't have a regular bathroom. You're, this, your circumstances alone can trigger anxiety and depression, and it's a downward spiral. And then what happens, unfortunately, is some people self-medicate with alcohol or, or drugs. Well, Catherine, I certainly want to thank you for that, uh, that series of articles for AARP, definitely bringing attention to this, this, um, this really growing issue. And so I want to go back to Dr. Stevens now and talk about solutions First of all, Dr. Stevens, what types of services will a homeless older adult need? And and given all what the circumstances are, uh, which both of you have described so eloquently, how and where can they find these services? Thank you for that question. And Catherine, thank you so much for your series of articles that interviewed older adults who had that experience and could speak to it. So I would start off with that, not to uh, do things for people without people. In other words, include people with lived experience in any types of discussions and decisions around solutions, right? Um, And I think when we talk about um, services, we need to look at accessible, affordable housing solutions for older adults. Um, And then there was a study out of um, Harvard's Joint uh, Center on Housing and um, which was, um, which was posted during the pandemic. In other words, they looked at a group of older adults uh, who were in a public housing uh, units, uh, housing Uh, And they examined what their status and condition, how they fared through the pandemic. And what they learned was having service coordinators, that is, uh, um, case managers, people who could help older adults to navigate various systems, help to support them, their outcomes as it relates to health, uh, their ability to maintain housing, was positively impacted through the use of service coordinators. So I would say having service coordinators and navigation would be helpful. Um, And then if we think about upstream type prevention services, I would say things like rental assistance. There was a study done by an organization in California calls uh, serving seniors. And they found that if folks had a $300 to $500 shallow subsidy to help cover their rent, that they, that older adults would be able to uh, more likely maintain their housing. So I think maybe they may have increased that a little bit, but that's what their report showed. And then tenant protections. So being able to have some type of tenant protections in place for um, older adults. And I think I mentioned earlier about universal design concepts. I think when we're looking at uh, um, development of public housing or low-income housing, whatever, that developers automatically include universal design elements in uh, their housing development. I think that would help so that as people continue to age, that they would not need to leave their current housing situation in search of uh, a a housing unit that is more accessible and can accommodate uh, their needs, mobility needs, et cetera. And income support, right? 
So justice in aging uh, really advocates for older adults as it relates to economic stability. And and I would encourage um, the listeners to really review their website as it relates to supplemental security income and social security uh, to see things that they can advocate for and support as it relates to older adults in general, which then helps to prevent this pathway into homelessness. If there's enough uh, sufficient income, housing that that can accommodate changing uh, physical needs, and then that there are protection and there's uh, support to uh, address some of these changing uh, physical situations that older adults are likely to experience. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you, Dr. Stevens, is, and, and you and Catherine both said it so well about the fact of the lack of affordable housing. I mean, you've both talked about this a lot. And in, in your role at the National Alliance to End Homelessness, is that something that's being promoted across the country in terms of increasing the supply of you know the affordable housing and, and especially ones that could be appropriate for older adults. And if, if that can happen, how is it being accomplished? Uh, any insights on that? We recently uh, help, hosted our annual uh, conference and had over, I don't know, 1,200 attendees. And some of them participated in what's known as uh, Capitol Hill Day, where they went and met with their uh, Congress people from their state to advocate for increase in funding. For example, that we requested increase in homeless assistance in what's known as the Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development Appropriations Bill. We asked for uh, $200 million more than what was um, presented in the, um, in the president's uh, budget request, and also asked for support of homeless services workers, right? We need people to be able to provide this support. And really what we learned is that in most cases, the folks who are providing services uh, in the homeless services system earn way below what the national average is. So for example, I think we showed that they earned about 30,000, whereas the median household income is about 70,000. So that just says something when we're looking uh, across the country at uh, direct care workforce uh, issues about um, being able to earn a wage that is livable and to have a working environment that um, people don't want to want to be able to work there and carry out their roles um, without certain environments. And we're also looking at increased uh, funding for housing choice voucher program. And the housing choice voucher, as you may know, funds rental assistance, uh, but only a fourth of people who are eligible actually receive them. So we're looking for an increase in that. Um, And I think when we talk about older adults, here's some things that I would encourage your listeners to look and become more informed around. And that is programs like uh, Money Follows the Person, right? This is like transition from an institution into the community. Uh, Many of the aging advocates really wanted this to become a permanent program. It is uh, a demonstration. It has not become uh, permanent yet. There are programs under Medicaid, Uh, to support older adults who live in the community, like home and community-based care. Uh, There are other programs like 1115 waivers under Medicaid. And I think CMS has really listened to the public when they're saying things like, we need support, further support, deeper support of individuals to meet their health-related social needs, right? And And so 1115 waivers are a way that many uh, states can look at basically waiving the requirements under Medicaid to better support individuals who need housing support and, um, and other types of social service type supports 
uh, in their home. So I would say those are things that um, um, communities can look at, list, your listeners can look into, be informed about what's happening within your community, what supports are out there, because if we're fortunate enough, we will all live a long life. And during that life, we will need support and we need to put in place programs and services to provide those supports and to, to donate, donate to your nonprofits, to your food banks that are out in your community. And one, one other um, factor I wanted to bring up since we've been talking about housing is uh, eviction protections. Um, this broadcast is taking place in Arlington, and I'm a member of the Commission on Aging. And we often hear about uh, evictions. Is, is there any kind of legislative or administrative action that can take place to increase, say, eviction protections and renters' rights so that people don't get kicked out of their homes in the first place? Yes, that's where I was speaking about tenant protections. So I would also suggest that listeners become informed and look at the Senate Special Committee on Aging, which is chaired by Senator Casey and co-chaired by um, Senator Braun. And then there is also a caucus on homelessness, which is co-chaired by Representative Cory Bush and Representative uh, Garcia, Patricia Garcia. So I would look at those and and advocate for support of people experiencing homelessness and also for the aging committee for older adults, for income support, for services that support an aging population. We're getting close to the end of the interview, but I wanted to just go back to one detail, Dr. Stevens, that you mentioned, and that is about accessing supplemental security income and social security disability insurance or other benefits, which maybe people are eligible for and sometimes don't know about. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what, is there a website or a place that people can go to to find out if, gee, I didn't realize that I was, had this I had this benefit, especially in connection with disability. So could you talk a little bit more about that? I would say every um, state and certainly communities have what's known as area agencies on aging. And within those area agencies on aging, they have what's known as a state health insurance program. And, and people who are trained in not only that, but Medicare um, and, and various aspects of the Medicare insurance program. So contact them as it relates to those types of questions that you may have related to Medicare and other social, um, safety net programs. And then I would also say there is a program called SOAR. Uh, it is um, a program of the of SAMHSA, which is Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Agency, who operates SOAR. And it's geared towards helping people who are experiencing homelessness, mainly older adults in, 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 in the case, in certain cases, to access social security type programs. So SSI, uh, Social Security in general, and SSDI, as you mentioned, uh, Cheryl. So those are two resources, your Area Agency on Aging, and look up SOAR, S-O-A-R, website, and you will see information as how you can support those individuals who are experiencing homelessness and may be eligible for some type of social safety net program like uh, under the Social Security Administration. Final question for each of you. First of all, Dr. Stevens, would it be helpful for our listeners to log on to your association's website, the National Alliance to End Homelessness, for more information? And if so, what is that website address? Thank you, Cheryl. That address is inhomelessness.org, O-R-G. And I assume there's lots of resources there about all kinds of homelessness. Uh, would you agree? 
there's there's certainly a lot of information as it relates to um, homelessness in general, and certainly the state of homelessness, resources available. There are many organizations out there, and you'd see that on our website, National Low Income Housing Coalition is one. Uh, I mentioned Justice in Aging as another. Certainly your U.S. Aging as a older adult um, specific organization that uh, supports older adults living in the community. I should also mention SAGE, which is focused on older adults who are experiencing homelessness and are members of the LGBT plus community. And I would add one resource also, the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans. Um, I'm familiar with that. So in case our listeners are veterans, uh, contacting the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans would be good. And Catherine, you've got the final word here. Can you tell our listeners where they can read the articles that you wrote? Sure. Thank you. Let me, let me before I do that, thank you for having me, Cheryl. Let me give a shout out to Dr. Stevens' organization, National Alliance to End Homelessness, uh, as she said, endhomelessness.org. You know, I went to their national conference in the summer of uh, 22, and it was really the launch of my project. It's a fabulous organization. They brought over 1,000 people to Washington, one of the first conferences as COVID cases started to diminish. And it's a resource-oriented group that finds solutions. They work with federal and local partners, and they work with communities to help implement programs. And I met uh, wonderful people and experts uh, through that great organization. The bottom line is people should educate themselves about the realities of homelessness, advocate for resources from all levels of government, and donate to effective organizations. You can find what your shelters need locally. Oftentimes they'll post it on their website and it's anything from low level gift cards to adult diapers and warm socks. Okay. Well, I want to thank Dr. Yolanda Stevens, Policy Analyst for Older Adults at the National Alliance to End Homelessness, and Catherine Skiba, who is a journalist and author. Thank you both for joining me today. And to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all of our Aging Matters radio programs, as well as our TV show episodes. And you can also access those radio programs on the podcasts, on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and other uh, podcast broadcasts. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, which you can learn more about at inkmouthmedia.com. So thank you for listening to Aging Matters again today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.